Who remembers um, VHS? Who actually? Who remembers what it stands for? Yeah, I don't know. VH video video players. Um, well, I came across lately. or recently, I came across a, um, a box of videotapes um, at Mum and Dad's, and um, there were some from um, our band um, 20 years ago, and, and a few other kind of things. I was like, oh, I want to see what I want to see what they look like. And so then I went hunting for a, a VHS, a video player. It's very hard to get a hand, you know, find one. Do you? Oh, there you go. All I had to do was ask. As it turns out, <laughs> mum, mum and Dad had one, and. Um, so I took it home, really excited to watch it, and it, and it didn't work. It actually ate the tape, so then I had to you know, try to get it out. Um, and so yesterday, Elena and I went on a, a mission to the tip shop, which is probably one of my favorite shops in Wellington, up at Happy Valley. And, uh, and we found a VHS for $5. And I was at, at the counter, and um, this guy looks at me, and he goes, oh, a video player. And I go, yeah. He goes, oh, I've got got one of those in my in my lockup and and I think he was trying to say that he probably would have given it to me for free and so then uh, on the if you've been to the tip shop and bought anything from up there any electrical piece of equipment that says on it um, sold for parts in other words it might not work just a disclaimer and so I took it home and um, <coughs> this is a long story and um, and then wasn't too sure if it was actually going to work or not anyway it did yeah sorry that was just backstory <laughs> And so one of the videotapes was this one uh, from 19, I think it's from 1998, all it says is CV 1998. And, um, and so, you know, I was watching that and, um, and it was this, this church on a, on a Sunday night and the worship band was sitting over where Stu and Lynn and um, the Harpers are sitting over here. Uh, church looked a bit different, there was a wall across here and there was rooms over here and things like that and there was OHP, so um, a woman... Uh, a woman called Emma. She was um, what doing the uh, OHP, and it was up up on the screen over there. And um, Chris Dobson was playing keyboard, and um, I was playing I was playing bass, and Nicholas was playing acoustic guitar. There was um, people that you don't know, or you remember um, Anna Thea, She was doing BVs. Um, Dana was doing BVs, and Greg, Greg Montgomery. And anyway, they were singing this old Dave Roos song, like "Let Your Mercies Fall from Heaven." That your mercies, real uh, '90s classic, pretty, um, pretty low key. And then the um, the video cam the video camera sort of panned around, and you know, um, just and you could see like different people, different people worshiping, right from the front all the way to the back. Everybody uh, just standing there, like um, just just lost in worship. And um, Anna, we oh she's gone somewhere. Anna was um, Anna was there worshiping, and uh, Sarah Coleman and Andrew Millard, who some of you some of you know. But um, I was looking at it, I was going, oh, there was, there was something really, really beautiful that was happening in the 90s where it was just, there was a simplicity, uh, a real, sim real simple, real simple love for Jesus. The Holy Spirit had, had moved in a, in a way that um, it didn't matter how, um, how, what the music was like at the front, um, because, you know, it didn't matter what the song was like, we, you know, we just wanted to, we just wanted to get close to Jesus. And all that's to say is that during the worship time this morning, I was thinking about that, and, and I felt a bit sad. I was like, Lord, it was so simple. It was so simple back then. And I felt the Lord saying, like, the same spirit, the same spirit of God that was in, in this church and in the hearts of people back in the 90s, he hasn't gone, he hasn't gone anywhere. But I felt like the same spirit is here today, 
and um, and there's a part of me which which feels actually like the um, the anticipation of something fresh coming along along those lines. And so I felt like God was saying to me, James, keep it simple, stupid. <laughs> keep it simple, stupid. And I, and I was like, that's a bit rude, God. And <laughs> but then but then I was kind of reminded of how often in the um, in the Gospels, like you just we just need to come to Jesus like children or like you know like a fool, a fool for Jesus. Keep it simple, stupid. I was like, yeah, thank you, Lord. So, Lord Jesus, I think thank you for that um, that picture. Lord, thank you that you're the same uh, today, you're the same yesterday, and you're the same tomorrow. Lord, what was going on in the 90s was cool for then. I don't want to sing those same songs again, really. But um, but I do want uh, more and more of your of your presence and, and of your goodness in my life and in, in the life of this church. And so I, I pray that this morning that you would help me to share what I think you've put on my heart. Um, but I pray a bigger prayer than that, that um, that we, this this body, this church, that we would uh, come to know you, Jesus, in, in, more and more, uh, in a more profound way. We'd come to know you more as the, as the King of Kings, that we'd have a, um, a deep revelation of you uh, as, as the sovereign Lord of the universe, the holy and the pure one, the author of all life. Like all these things that the Bible speaks to us about, Lord, I pray that you would speak those into our hearts and that we would... Um, you sort of more it would go from sort of a head something in our heads to something like deep within you'd give us a confidence in our hearts that you are the sustainer of all things you'd restore to us the joy of our salvation or if we don't yet know Jesus that you'd um you'd draw us into the arms of Jesus today amen here we go I'm off piste as well already so nachos okay get started um <clears throat> Here we go. Isaiah 7:14 says this. Not that. This. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Micah 5:2 says, but you Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Psalm 110. The Lord, said, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on the day of your battle, arrayed in holy splendor. Your young men will come to you like dew from the morning's womb. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Second Samuel seven twelve to 16. When your days are over, this is speaking to King David, when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Isaiah 9, 6-7 
For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. I've got more for you. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching, the islands, the North Island and the South Island will put their hope. This is what God the Lord says, the creator of the heavens who stretches them out, who spread out the earth and all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison and to release from the dungeons those who sit in darkness." You only wait for what you hope for. I said somebody once a few weeks ago. That was me. Some people are really good at saving money. Uh, some people are really good at saving money for like a holiday in the Pacific Islands. And some, uh, some people are really good at saving chocolate because they hope that later on they'll enjoy it more. There's these horrible words, delayed gratification. Um, although if you if if you do that in our house, then then you run the risk of Tess, uh, of me or Elena eating Tessa's chocolate. Uh, anyway, I'm just not very good at saving chocolate. <clears throat> uh, the Jews Jews at the time of Jesus they'd been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting generation after generation. They had the, they had these prophecies and these promises like the one I've just read about a Messiah. Messiah, um, the Messiah was uh, somebody, somebody special, somebody chosen by God. This person was going to come along and sort the mess out. And things were really, really messy for the Jews, for the Israelites. They were an oppressed people. Their nation had been taken over by the Romans. And now they're under Roman rule. Caesar Augustus was the king, and they had to pay taxes to the Romans. And they had to come into the laws of the Romans. It was not a good time. And yet they had these promises in the Bible. In the Old Testament, like this is just what I read before is just a sampling. The Old Testament is full of promises about this time that would come, when the Messiah would come, this time in the future. The Messiah would come and sort everything out. He was going to put everything to order. There was going to be freedom and justice. There was going to be a new golden age. The Messiah was going to make Israel great again. And so they were waiting, and they were waiting with hope. And I've got something special. It's a Bible project video. So is this good to go, Ross? Okay, let's hope it's good to go in here. So let's say you want to describe the feeling of anticipating a future that's better than the present. You might be giddy or excited or maybe unsure, but most of us know that experience. We call it hope. It's a state of anticipation, and it's crucial for healthy human existence. And it's a really important concept in the Bible. In fact, there are many words for hope in the ancient languages of the Bible, and they're all fascinating. In the Old Testament, there are two main Hebrew words translated as hope. 
The first is yachal, which means simply to wait for. Like in the story of Noah and the ark, as the floodwaters recede, Noah had to yachal for weeks. The other Hebrew word is kava, which also means to wait. It's related to the Hebrew word kav, which means cord. When you pull a kav tight, you produce a state of tension until there's release. That's kava, the feeling of tension and expectation while you wait for something to happen. The prophet Isaiah depicts God as a farmer who plants vines and kavahs for good grapes. Or the prophet Micah talks about farmers who both kavah and yachal for morning dew to give moisture to the land. So in biblical Hebrew, hope is about waiting or expectation. But waiting for what? In the period of Israel's prophets, as the nation was sinking into self-destruction, Isaiah said, at this moment, the Lord's hiding his face from Israel, so I will kavah for him. The only hope Isaiah had in those dark days was the hope for God himself. You find the same notion of hope all over the book of Psalms, where these words appear over 40 times. In almost every case, what people are waiting for is God. Like in Psalm 130, the poet cries out from a pit of despair, I kavah for the Lord, let Israel yachal for the Lord, because he's loyal and will redeem Israel from its sins. Biblical hope is based on a person, which makes it different from optimism. Optimism is about choosing to see, in any situation, how circumstances could work out for the best. But biblical hope is not focused on circumstances. In fact, hopeful people in the Bible often recognize there's no evidence things will get better, but you choose hope anyway. Like the prophet Hosea, he lived in a dark time when Israel was being oppressed by foreign empires, and he chose hope when he said God could turn this valley of trouble into a door of hope, like the day when Israel came up from the land of Egypt. God had surprised his people with redemption back in the days of the Exodus, and he could do so again. So it's God's past faithfulness that motivates hope for the future. You look forward by looking backward, trusting in nothing other than God's character. It's like the poet of Psalm 39 who says, And now, O Lord, what else can I kavah for? You are my yachal. In the New Testament, the earliest followers of Jesus cultivated the similar habit of hope. They believed that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection was God's surprising response to our slavery to evil and death. The empty tomb opened up a new door of hope, and they used the Greek word elpis to describe this anticipation. The Apostle Peter said that Jesus' resurrection opened up a living hope, that people can be reborn, to become new and different kinds of humans. More than once, the Apostle Paul says the good news about Jesus announces the El Peace of glory. In both cases, this El Peace is based on a person, the risen Jesus, who has overcome death. And this hope wasn't just for humans. The Apostles believed that what happened to Jesus in the resurrection was a foretaste of what God had planned for the whole universe. In Paul's words, it's a hope that creation itself will be liberated from slavery to corruption into freedom when God's children are glorified. So Christian hope is bold, waiting for humanity and the whole universe to be rescued from evil and death. And some would say it's crazy, and maybe it is. But biblical hope isn't optimism based on the odds. It's a choice to wait for God to bring about a future that's as surprising as a crucified man rising from the dead. Christian hope looks back to the risen Jesus in order to look forward. And so we wait. That's what the biblical words for hope are all about. Pretty red. Oh, what was that? <laughs> that was cool. Um, hope. I, I haven't actually mentioned yet, but hope is um, hope is one of the words, one of the themes of Advent. And uh, and so this morning is um, 
we're beginning quite early. It's only halfway through November, but we're um, beginning a, a series of Advent themes. And so this morning, it's hope. And this wee video, man, it, ca- it captures like these heaps of truths. I, some of you might remember it from, from last year. I couldn't remember it at all. Um, because I just forget most things anyway, but they highlight these two Hebrew words used in the Old Testament. Yakal. Yakal. To wait. To wait for. Or the other one, kavar. To wait. And, the, and that word kavar has that idea of tension. And I'll come, come back to that in a bit. So the Jews, they've been waiting for these promises to be fulfilled. They've been waiting for the Messiah and ultimately waiting for God himself. And they've been waiting for hundreds and hundreds of years. And then something really unexpected happens. God actually shows up. What? (laughs) Hey, John, you did that, eh? What? (laughs) What? But it's all a bit upside down. Because instead instead of a mighty and powerful Messiah showing up, instead of that, you get this baby born to a virgin called Mary. What? The baby is born by the Son of God. And he's placed in an animal, animal manger. Everyone says, what? Yucca. It's just not right. And, uh, you know, Mary and, Mary and her husband, Joseph, they couldn't even find a place to stay at the hotel. So they end up in, the, in this uh, place for animals. Usually when a king comes to town, or um, this is what I could imagine anyway, um, there'd be a lot of publicity. Like it would be all over the media and... Uh, and the, on the internet and the news and everything like that. Everybody would know that the king's coming to town. There'd be a whole lot of fanfare. And then when the, when the Son of God comes to town, instead uh, there's fan, there is fanfare, but it's just this group of, of shepherds out watching their flocks of sheep out in the fields. And they, I mean, it's incredible fanfare. Like they witness this uh, great company of angels, which would be incredible, praising the Lord. And the angel of the Lord says this to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ, which is the Greek word for Messiah. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And the shepherds went, what? And I'm assuming that these shepherds knew a bit about the Old Testament. They probably had, um, had probably had some ideas about the Messiah, about the you know from the Old Testament that this Messiah would come along and it'd be this incredible special person. Like in that, um, you know, I read this verse yesterday from, uh, earlier from Micah, but you Bethlehem Ephrathah, which is you know the town of David, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come from me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are not from are from old, from ancient times. This is what the shepherds might have been thinking of, and now they are being told by the angel of the Lord that this Messiah, the one in this promise, is here. He's a baby wrapped in cloths, in an in an animal manger, and they'd be going, ah. Oh. Hope fulfilled, <laughs> hope fulfilled. The, way, the one who they'd been hoping for was now here. And later in this, this chapter in Luke, in Luke chapter 2, Mary and Joseph, they take the baby, the Messiah, to the temple to be circumcised. And everyone, every boy says, what? And at the, at the temple, there was a guy called Simeon. Simeon's real interesting. It had been revealed to Simeon uh, that he wouldn't die until he'd seen the Messiah with his own eyes. 
And then it says that the Holy Spirit moved Simeon to go into the outer courts of the temple, uh, to go to the temple courts. And when he was in the temple courts, he saw Mary and Joseph and the baby, and the Holy Spirit came on him and he prophesied over them, over the baby. And he goes, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. I can die now. For my eyes have seen, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And like if you've been listening to me, you'd notice like some similarities of this promise, this prophecy with the prophecy of Isaiah. Like it totally aligns with, the pro- with those prophecies in the Old Testament. And so it must have been a really crazy time for Mary and Joseph and for Simeon um, and for the shepherds and for everybody else that was in the know at that time. Like God and the angels had revealed to them that this child, this little baby, was the Messiah that they'd been hoping for. And there's all these promises around what the Messiah would do. But they had to wait a bit longer because babies, they can't really do much. Can they? No, is the answer. Um, they can't really do much. They can cry and eat and poop and sleep. And so now they had to wait until this, this baby, this baby human, had, had grown up and developed. So they got to keep waiting and then eventually... Um, the time comes, Jesus is about 30 years old and he starts moving around towns and he's telling people about who he is and, and who God is and, and Jesus is announcing the kingdom and he's demonstrating the kingdom of God. You know, he's healing people and setting people free, uh, free from demons, um, free from sickness, free from sin. And lots of people are following him and listening to him. Like anticipation is building in their hearts. Oh, like this is the guy. This is the guy we've been hoping for. The light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory, the glory to your people, Israel. This is the guy. But then as hope is rising, you know, we know the stories. Opposition is rising too. At the same time, you've got the opposition rising. Because the kingdom of God is, is assaulting the kingdom of darkness. So the result is Jesus is crucified. He's dead from Friday until Sunday. Jesus takes upon himself the sins of the world, and in that is victory, victory over sin and death. And our salvation is only through what Jesus did. So we come back to that Bible project video. There's these two Hebrew words for hope. Yakal, you know, to wait, wait and hope. And the other one, kavar, and I really like that one, to wait. And that, the kavar was that one, and it showed the, you know, the video of the, of the tension, of the ropes, of the tension. And it, like the tension is, I think, this resonates with us today. Because we're living in this, living in this point of time between you know, Jesus uh, arriving 2,000 years ago and when he comes back, the second coming. And we're living in the tension of the now and the not yet of the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom coming, and uh, like healing and everything like that. And and yet, and yet the kingdom, the kingdom not necessarily here in ways that we hope. The kingdom of God that Jesus announced and demonstrated is here on the planet, but but we still see the mess, the mess of sin, and evil and injustice, oppression and sickness and death. We still see it. We still feel it. And so I think our situation today is, is, is similar in some ways to the Jews at the time when Jesus showed up. 
hoping, we're hoping for a golden age as well. We're hoping for this time when, when God will be reigning in glory. Holding on to that hope. But like they said in the video, Christian hope is more than, more than optimism. It's a powerful thing. It's a bold thing. It's crazy. It's all right. And I think, I think our world really needs hope. Oh, man. Like the other day, I, um, I was checking out the, the Guardian News website, and the headlines that day were about the riots and the coup and the unrest in Bolivia, uh, the protests and violence and upheaval in Hong Kong. Uh, there was bombings and shootings in Denmark. That was just that day. And then you scroll down the page a bit, and it's the Guardian, and so there's heaps of news about Brexit, and and that's a mess, right? Um, heaps of heaps of fear about about climate, a climate of fear about climate change. Man, we need hope. And, and that was that day, and that, and that's not unusual, right? That's just the world we're living in. That's just the that's the headlines we see. Most days you see things like that. There's things going on, even in New Zealand, thing, things going on. Then you go, what the heck is going on here? And it makes me wonder, like, what is the, what is the trajectory of it all? Like, what is the direction? What's going to happen? And it, uh, you know, it can make me, and I'm sure it can make um, some of you as well, like, feel, feel quite anxious about it, to feel uh, fearful about it, about the future, um, and to feel hopeless like if you put your if you put your attention and, and your and your confidence in, in the news headlines, then man, it's hard to it's hard to feel hopeful for a better future. It's hard to feel hopeful for for a golden age, or to go, God, you're at work. It's obvious. No, it doesn't look that obvious sometimes. In the in that Bible project video, they said it's God's past faithfulness that motivates hope for the future. It's God's past faithfulness that motivates hope for the future. You look forward by looking backward, trusting in nothing other than God's character. And, uh, there's, and uh, a lot of you will know the, the Fokotoki, Kamua Kamuri, walking backwards into the future. I'm appropriating that. <laughs> walking backwards into the future. Actually, when I was preparing this on, on Friday, I was like experimenting and I was kind of walking around church like this, like, Walking, walking backwards, trying to keep my eye on one point. You feel quite vulnerable. You're like not sure what you're going to hit, what you're sure you're going to crash into. But, but for us, our hope, is, our hope for the future is based on the past. Like we're walking backwards into the future, looking back into our history book. It's this. This is my big chunky one. Man, I love it. We, like a, this is a history book. This is how we, we know about God, how we know about his past faithfulness is in, in our book of history. We look back in our history. We look back. We look back in the Bible to discover who God is. Jesus is the fullness of the revelation of God. So what He said and what He did. We look at the prophecies about Him. That's why part of the reason why I was reading out those prophecies at the start. All of it shapes and forms our hope for the future, and we have this living hope. They said this in the video as well. A living hope that's better than anything else. It's a living hope, a hope that's based on a person, Jesus. And it's powerful. Why is it powerful? Why is our hope powerful? 
It's powerful because God is powerful. And like, imagine being in a real scary situation. Or well, maybe don't. It might be too scary. A few weeks ago, we heard uh, Mike Burrows from Open Doors, and he was talking about like persecution of Christians in, in countries overseas. And man, it's frightening stuff, right? And you kind of imagine that we're facing that, that kind of persecution, you know? We're facing torture or death or exile because of our faith in Jesus. And that's really frightening. But then imagine it, imagine it with God at your side. Imagine with the God of gods at your side, the faithful Jesus, the one the Bible calls the creator of heaven and earth. Imagine he's at your side. The all-powerful, omnipotent, oh, sorry, the all-powerful, omnipotent, all-knowing, omniscient, the eternal one at your side. Imagine if you could see his face in those moments. Like, that's hope. That's hope, eh? Um, the other day, um, Caleb and I were talking about Stephen. Stephen, uh, Stephen was the first martyr of the church. He had a really important job. He was to wait on the tables to give out food to people. Stephen, as he was being stoned to death, he was full of hope. That is not the time when you'd expect to be full of hope. But he's full of hope because he saw the glory of God. He saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. It says this in Acts. He said, as he's being stoned, he's saying to the ones that are stoning him, Look, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Oh, that's, that's where his hope came from. And it changes everything. Man, it changes everything. I could, I've been thinking about, man, we've been waiting a long time for Jesus to come back. I've been waiting 42 years. Oh, my goodness. My dad's been waiting 150 years. <laughs> Uncle Roger is his older brother. <laughs> How long have you been waiting, Uncle Roger? Oh, you couldn't hear me. Oh, <laughs> it's still coming, yeah. It's, you know, 2,000 years, right? Two th roughly 2,000 years. And so I was thinking yesterday, this is off, I'm off on another tangent. Sorry if you're hungry. 2,000 years. Like how many generations is that? Um, so I googled it. And um, estimate, the estimates range, right, from about 60, roughly 60 generations to 101 generations since the time of, since the time of Jesus. So part of me thinks that's actually not too many generations. Um, but then... But then it is a very, very long time. Generation after generation after generation. Going, okay, Jesus, you're our hope. Generation after generation, still hoping, even though Jesus hasn't returned again. Man, this is like a total tangent on a tangent, but um, it's really upsetting to me to see um, battle lines being drawn up between generations and our culture at the moment. Um, there's no need for it. There's no need for uh, younger people, for people um, um, to, be, to be looked down upon by older generations, and there's no need for the, um, the older generations to be condescended to by younger generations. There's no need um, for, you know what I mean, right? I'm talking about 
people going, you stupid millennials. Or the millennials going, okay, boomer, right? There's no need for that. That's not helping anybody. Generation after generation, we've got to like work. Like, man, it only works when we're sort of holding hands, working together, tangent on a tangent. Okay, where am I? The, the, my point is, like, from the, time of, from the time of Jesus, generation after generation, we're only here because of the generation before us. I'm only, well, maybe it might have happened a different way, but I think that I'm only a Christian because of the faith of my mum and dad, their generation. I'm sure many of you have got similar stories. Man, like, can we just do one thing? And it's like to, to respect those before us and to respect those afterwards. We've got to be looking forward to the ones holding their hands, and we've got to be looking at the younger generation and holding their hands and somehow walking together. I wanted to talk about the character of God just quickly, and because um, this, is, this is our hope. Um, Chris Malcolm's dad um, has written a book called Echoes from Heaven, And so I'm just going to read from what he says. This is about God. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is the creator and sustainer of the universe. He is present everywhere. He is God from everlasting to everlasting. He is sovereign. He is transcendent. He is the most high God. His name is above every other name. His name is Yahweh, the I am who I am, and the I will be who I will be. He is unchanging. He is faithful. He is holy, completely other, and separate from everything that he has made. He holds together all the various attributes that make together, that make up who he is. He is imminent. He is compassionate and gracious. He is slow to anger and overflowing with constant love. He calls us his friends. He is the friend that is closer than a brother. He has engraved our names on the palm of his hands so that we will never be overlooked. He is the firstborn of the family of God, and we are his brothers and sisters. He joins himself to us to make us his children, spirit to spirit. I think sometimes when we see, you know, sort of when we're losing hope that, 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 there, is a, that there is a better time to come or that God is at work in the city, in, the, in our world, in our city, in our town, in our church, just got to look at who God is, remind ourselves of the character of who God is. And it might seem kind of counterintuitive to come to the communion table this morning. You might go, what has, what has Christmas and Easter got to do with each other, even though we know that they're both about the same person, about the person of Jesus? At Christmas time, we look back 2,000 years to this, this moment in time where a oh, mystery of mysteries, the God of gods uh, takes on flesh and, be- and is born as a baby. The incarnation, God made flesh. And at a communion, uh, we look back to what Jesus did, this baby, uh, when he was an adult, taking on himself the sins of the world. Whoever believes in him, and chooses to give him our sins, we're saved. Forgiven by God, saved into eternal life. So taking communion, we've talked about this uh, in the last few months, taking communion is this this looking back, looking forward activity. It's a a future past act. (laughs) I like this. It's an act of defiance to our present age. Partaking in the death of Jesus means life. 
eating the bread, eating the body of Jesus, and drinking the juice, drinking the blood of Jesus. This is communion, and it means that we're uh, identifying with him in such, a, in such a profound and integrated way. It means, it means identifying with him in death, and it means um, identifying him in the resurrection. So communion is, a, is this looking past act, looking back act, looking, looking back then, but it looks forward to our future as well. It's a, hopeful, it's a hopeful act that we do. So we're going to come, um, if, if you want to come and you want to identify with Jesus in his death and in his resurrection, I'm gonna, I'll break the bread um, and I'll pray over it. Um, and then you can come and, come and take that and, and hold the bits and pieces and we'll all take it together. Yeah, Lord Jesus, we remember, we remember you at this time as we gather around the communion table. We remember what you did. And you did, you did it for us to give us life and to give us hope for the future, to give us a joy. And Lord Jesus, you, you took the bread and you broke it, and I'm going to do the same thing, Lord. Because in the same way, your body was broken for us. Lord Jesus, so I take this bread and I, and I break it. Thank you, Lord. And Lord, as, as we come today to partake of the bread and the juice, Lord, I pray that even, even though it's, a, well, in some ways it's a symbolic act, but it's also, it's also a spiritual act. And I pray that even in this moment, we would know your nearness to us. Lord, I pray that um, uh, for those among us who, who feel that uh, hope is just an just a empty word, that uh, this morning hope would be restored. Lord, you'd uh, blow upon those, those embers that are, that are faintly burning. You said, Lord, that you will not, um, you will not break the um, bruised, uh, bruised weed. You will not um, blow out that flick, flickering flame. I pray this morning that there would be the restoration of hope within our hearts, restoration of confidence in our, in our hearts, Lord, as we partake in, in your death and in your life. In Jesus' name, amen. So, so come forward. Grab a, grab a, um, grab an element. We've got some gluten-free option on this side over here. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your for your life. Thank you that you were you were born as you, born as a baby. Thank you that you God you took on flesh. Thank you that we can uh, we can look back two thousand years to the time when you walked the earth that you walked among us and you took upon yourself the sins of the world. You took upon yourself our sins. You were broken for us in order for us to have life and in taking this act you give us hope. And so we take this bread, Lord, this morning, this, uh, this bit of bread that's all from the same loaf and we take it in rem remembrance of you, Lord Jesus. Lord, we take this cup, cup with cup with juice, representing your blood, Lord Jesus, the blood of the Lamb that was slain. Who would be taken on taken on death, being killed, conquered death all at the same time. And we take this blood, we drink this juice, 
and remembrance of, of you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. The inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who, though, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you will greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. It's almost time for nachos. I just want to pray, well, and uh, and also open up, open up a time uh, time for prayer too. I, f- I feel like the Lord wants to um, uh, wants to minister to people this morning, in, in various various ways, and so we'll um, make an opportunity for that. So, um, before we do, why don't you stand? Thanks for patiently listening to my tangents. Lord Jesus, thank you for your, for being here with us this morning. Uh, Lord Jesus, you're you're amazing. You're the the far above God and the right here God, all at the same time. The God that has the whole universe in His hands, and yet you uh, you you're our friend and our and our very present help this morning. Thank you for your presence here, uh, Lord Jesus. I um, yeah, I just pray that. Um, that words that you've uh, spoken through me, uh, that the things that are of you, Lord, that they would um, be planted in, in the hearts of your children this morning. And we welcome you, Holy Spirit. We long for more of you. Thank you, Jesus. We thank you for your love.